So our series is called uh, Replicate. And uh, the idea is that we have talked for a number of years now about what it means to love God and love people and make disciples and make a difference. And um, the quote that I uh, had last week or the week before, uh, that discipleship is not complete until the disciple becomes the disciple maker. Uh, in his book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, uh, Robert Colden said that about evangelism, that evangelism is not complete until the evangelized become the evangelists. And I would say the same about discipleship, that it's a, that it's a cycle. It's not meant to be a one and done. Um, that for us to truly understand what it is to make disciples, it means that we make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And so the scripture that we're going to be looking at on Sunday uh, are the two classic passages that talk about disciple making um, in first from uh, the mouth of Jesus himself and then uh, also from Paul as he instructed uh, Timothy. So that's what we're going to dive into. But I'd start off by reminding us that the word disciple is both a noun and a verb. That a disciple, quite simply, is a follower of Jesus. Uh, the word Christian uh, means little Christ. Uh, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so we, we have a, a, a very clear understanding of the, the noun that if we imitate the things that Jesus did, or we, if we imitate the things that someone who's imitating Jesus did, then we are a disciple and then that's a noun. And so for uh, we become followers of Jesus. We become disciples by reading the Bible and watching other people who are uh, maybe a, a few steps ahead of us in the journey of following Jesus. But it's also a noun. Uh, it's also a verb. Uh, to disciple someone is to make disciples, to, uh, to invest in someone, to mentor someone, to pour into someone. And we have lots of examples of that in the Bible. Elijah and Elisha, Jethro and Moses, uh, uh, David and Jonathan, Mordecai and Esther. Um, we have lots of illustrations where there is someone who's maybe a little farther down the road in their walk with God is able to instruct, to, to pour into someone younger and most often, it's so that the person who has uh, been the disciple maker passes from the scene for whatever reason, Elijah in a chariot of fire and uh, uh, Moses, uh, of course, uh, died on Mount Nebo, having turned over uh, the uh, leadership of the Israelites to Joshua. So, so we, we usually, the process of disciple making is the Chinese proverb that I talked about uh, uh, last week, that the first time through something, I'll do it and you watch. The second time through it, I'll do it and you help. The third time through it, I'll you do it and I'll help. The fourth time through it, you do it and I'll watch. The fifth time through it, you do it, I'll go do something else. And there's a, a, a passing of the baton, so to speak. So disciple is both a noun and a verb. But we've got to start for a minute with what it is to be a disciple now. To be a follower of Christ means that we have understood what we Baptists call the plan of salvation. We understand how one is born again, that we realize that, that God is holy and we are sinful, and that our sin separates us from God. 
and that apart from the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, there is no hope for us to be in fellowship or in congruence with God. He, he cannot tolerate us being around him in sin. And so Jesus died for our sin. And that salvation uh, came about because of his death on the cross, because of the blood that he shed, the sacrifice that he shed. And so the, 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 the famous Roman road uh, says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, separation from a holy God, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrated his love for us and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. And then Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And so the, the, the Romans road or the Roman road that, that clearly explains how someone crosses from darkness to light, from death to life, that's the starting point for a disciple. So it's not enough for someone to imitate me or to imitate Jesus or to imitate one of you unless they have a personal decision where they trust Christ as Savior and then they can begin to learn what it is to follow Christ. Does that make sense? That, that there's no discipleship without salvation. There's no there's no replication of discipleship unless someone has a moment where they realize that their sin has separated them from God and that they have made a life choice to be a follower of Christ through the repentance of sin and the acceptance of his gift of salvation. So, so to be real clear, I, I don't want to think that I can imitate somebody who's nice to children. And while that might be discipleship, it's not discipleship apart from the saving work of Christ and the cross. So at Dunwoody Baptist Church, we believe that every human is sinful and that God is holy. We believe that we become a Christian when we pray to God and ask forgiveness and declare that we will follow Jesus. We believe that when we become a Christian, we become a disciple. There's no such thing as a, a follower of Christ who accepts Jesus and says, glad that is out of the way, and now I can go do whatever I want to. Uh, I think that the evangelists used to call that fire insurance. <laughs> and there's no such thing as a Christian who's not a disciple. We believe that we need to grow spiritually. And mature in our faith. We we wrap a lot of energy at Dunwoody Baptist Church around helping people be in places, environments, uh, ministries, situations where they can grow in their faith and mature. And, and spiritual growth means that we are looking more and more like Jesus. Because that's our mission statement. We exist to passionately become more like Jesus to replicate what it is to be more like Jesus. We believe that the starting point of discipleship is becoming a Christian by placing our faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. This is known as being saved or being born again. The Bible teaches that we enter heaven on the basis of our faith in Jesus. We cannot go to heaven any other way. We're, we're not by being the best version of ourselves, uh, not by good works, um, not by being nice, um, don't cuss anymore. We, we enter eternal life in heaven only through uh, accepting Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And so I, I, I've spent a lot of time there, and I will spend a lot of time there on Sunday because I don't want us to think that we're a social club. Uh, but in many ways, we are. I don't want everybody to think that we exist only to be in community and to comfort each other when there's a, a funeral and celebrate with each other when there's a wedding and, and be involved in mission trips. The basis of all of that is our relationship with Christ for forgiveness of our sins. And that's when we become a disciple. 
some people have said there's uh, discipleship is kind of a three-step process. There's salvation uh, or justification. Then there's sanctification where day by day and step by step and verse by verse and decision by decision, we become more like Christ on this earth. And then glorification is that place where we either uh, die and go to heaven and are completed in our walk with him or Jesus comes back to pronounce an end to this age and we are taken to heaven with him. So uh, sanctification is becoming more like him. That's the, the replication. That's the discipleship that we're talking about. But it's all on the basis of justification or salvation. Any questions or, or comments? Wanted to dive into that. All right, well, turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 28. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 28. Now, study question for you. Have you ever heard the term the Great Commission? Anybody? Yeah. Where do we get that? The subtitle. Yeah, it's a subtitle. It's uh it's not actually said anywhere in the Bible. And mm -hmm. um a lot of times in discipleship, we say if you don't, if you don't learn much more in the Bible. Learn the great commandments and the great commission. The great commandments, you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. You would love your neighbor as yourself. The great commission that we're looking at here in Matthew. Uh, Bible scholars then, is there a great commission in any other chapter in scripture? Any other of the gospels? Does Mark have one, or Luke, or John? Yeah, there's one in Acts. What? There's one in Mark. In some of your Bibles. Yeah. <laughs> now, I'm not going to get sidetracked here, but it is Wednesday night, and uh, we chase enough rabbits to populate a hutch. Speak for yourself. Uh huh. But uh, in some of your Bibles, the uh, Great Commission part of Mark is not included because it is believed that the uh, last part of Mark may be a later editorial edition. Uh, don't let that bother you in any way, but if you have um, a Bible that has brackets, uh, beginning in chapter 16, verse 9, uh, some of your Bibles don't include uh, 9 through 20 because those are not found in the earliest and oldest, most reliable manuscripts that we have in the scripture. Have I blown anybody's mind yet? Did you know that was in there? I didn't put it in there. It's been in your Bible all along. So is the Great Commission in any place except for Matthew? Well, Luke spends a lot of time talking about um, things that happened after the resurrection. And John spends a lot of time talking about the things that are after the resurrection. And then Luke uh, continues his two-volume set in Acts and gives us even more details, and uh, we'll look at those uh, in a little bit as well. But for now, let's start with Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Now, in Luke's description of this in Acts, the implication is that the ascension of Christ took place 40 days after the resurrection. So that's, that's what he says in uh, Acts chapter 1. Um, Luke uh, declares for us. Um, 
in um, Acts chapter 1, verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appeared to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And verse 4, while staying with him, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, to wait for the Spirit, and then he ascended. Well, that uh, uh, lines up with what Matthew says in chapter 28, verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, to which Jesus had directed them. Now, the location of this mountain is not certain. There, there's a lot of speculation as to uh, where it was. It obviously was not Mount Moriah. It was not the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Why? That's not in Galilee. Jesus said, go to Galilee. And uh, that, that would make a lot of sense. The Sermon on the Mount was given at a hillside, a mount in Galilee. Um, there are a couple of other uh, mountains that uh, that are around the Sea of Galilee and in that, that region. When we are on the Sea of Galilee and, and taking a boat ride, we, we see the two prominent mountains that, that sort of um, are uh, markers uh, for the fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, on the very far north end of the Sea of Galilee is the, the Mount of the Beatitudes. And uh, it's one of the few places in Israel that uh, looks like it did 2,000 years ago. Um, most anything that Jesus did, there's a church on it. And there is a church at the Mount of Beatitudes, but you can still see the natural amphitheaters on the hillside I uh, had a, a couple of people that went to Israel with me that said that more than anything else, the Sermon on the Mount came alive because they could, in their mind's eye, picture where Jesus gave it. And it's possible that this is where he was. All we know is that he told them to go and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit and for further instructions. And so what he's he's done now is to say, go to Galilee, and then there's a sequence that uh, is worth breaking down. Uh, they worshiped him, but some doubted. I love the honesty of the scriptures. They worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, we got some military people here. Gerald, I think you were in the, in the military. What, what rank do you have to be in order to issue a commission? What, what rank do you, are you before you get a commission? You have to be an officer, right? Second lieutenant. Enlisted man doesn't get a, a commission, right? Right. And only the highest ranking are allowed to give a commission. To proclaim a commission, so when when they uh, when the, the the compilers of the Bible call this the Great Commission, they are placing on Jesus the highest authority, and so so the fact that they call it the Great Commission is because of what he said next: all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. So. He, they, they saw him on the mountain, and they worshiped, but some still doubted. And all of us in our sanctimonious behavior, we'd say, well, if I walked with Jesus for three years in a row, if I saw him do all those miracles, if I saw him resurrected after he was dead, if I saw him walk on water, if I saw him turn water into wine, I'd never have a moment of doubt. Yeah, we would. Because we're humans. We are sinful humans. And 
That's why in his earthly ministry, Jesus steadfastly refused to do proof on demand. That's why we don't, we don't have the authority to do miracles on demand. We don't have authority to do miracles for the sake of doing miracles. Jesus' credibility was established, and now some still doubt it. Well, I don't want to be too hard on him. I understand. I understand how you can be so overwhelmed with a God that you can't see and touch. And, and, and when you pray, you don't know if he hears you. I understand how some would doubt. But it goes right past that. The natural response to seeing Jesus is to doubt, is to worship. And it's not unusual that some would doubt. The implication is that the worship washed the doubt away. The implication is that the uh, belief uh, or the uh, marching orders that he was about to give would help to address any doubt that people might have. So he said to them, all authority has been given and heaven and earth has been given to me. And so he was able, he was uh uh, qualified, he uh, had the authority, he had the rank in order to uh, to give a commission. Now, again, um, Luke uh, indicates in his gospel that Jesus ascended near Bethany, so that would be near the north end of the Sea of Galilee, uh, not too far from uh, where we've been talking about. Um, Although there's another Bethany that's a little closer to Jerusalem, uh, but the fact that it's Galilee makes me think it's near the sea. Um, all right. The word disciple, um, um, the words to make disciple is the Greek Massachusetts. 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 That's it. And uh, and it literally means a pupil or a learner. And so the fact that they called Jesus rabbi, uh, they they were followers of the rabbi. They were pupils of the rabbi. If you watch the the uh, series The Chosen, they they call him teacher or master. And, and so the, the disciple-maker disciple relationship was one that we are imitating because that was the one that Jesus showed us. And so he, he, he establishes authority. And then in verse 19, he says, go therefore and make disciples. Now, a squadron leader, a general, a commander, he has the authority to give a command, and that is an imperative. Okay, the, the grammatical expression, it is an imperative. But the way that this particular phrase is, is that the imperative, the strong imperative in the phrase is make disciples. The word go there is more of a transitive. It's, a, it's an assumption. As you are going, make disciples. So the, the strong imperative is not the word go. It's the word make disciples. And so I, I like to, to joke and say it never crossed Jesus's mind that he would have to tell us to go. When we have news that is that good, when we have the, the cure for sin, why would we have to be told to get out of our comfort zone and go? But I also understand why sometimes we do. So whether you put the emphasis on go or whether you put the emphasis on make disciples, Jesus is telling all of us, you can't stay in your home. You, you can't stay in your holy huddle, uh, only around people who think like you, look like you, act like you, believe like you, go. All authority has been given to me. I am the, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Therefore, my command is not negotiable. Go.
go and make disciples. Then there are a number of participles that, that attach to that commandment. So if I was to read it like it is written, as you are going, make disciples. And the way that you make disciples or the, the means of making disciples uh, or the embedded description of what a disciple maker is, baptizing them. Why do you think he put that first? What about memorize some scripture? You don't have to know everything to accept him. So get baptized and then go on learning. Well, what is baptism? What is it? Does it wash our sins away? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so Jesus was baptized. The, the Holy Spirit became evident. The Holy Spirit rested on him. So we, we have that. It's an identification that says I'm with him. Always public. Always public. Uh, we try very hard not to do private baptisms around here. If somebody's very sick or if uh, there are instances where uh, there are extraordinary circumstances, we have uh, gone to the swimming pool in the fitness center and we I've baptized people in backyards in the Chattahoochee River. And um, when Jane Lord was baptized, she was so terrified of going down the steps to the baptistry because of her uh, very fragile orthopedic condition. We baptized her by pouring. And uh, it's another method or mode of baptism. But by and large, our understanding in the Baptist Church of Baptism is that it is by immersion, it is by a spiritual adult. In other words, we don't baptize babies. We don't, we don't say that if we sprinkle water on them, it'll keep them out of hell. We believe that when someone is old enough to understand sin, when they are old enough to understand that sin has consequences that are both on earth and in heaven, and that they have a need to accept Jesus as Savior, then they are a spiritual adult. And whether they are eight or 108, they are able to express a need for Jesus. And then they are baptized publicly as an identification. This fall, we are in Southeast Conference territory. Really? Yeah, we are. How many of you will put a sign in your yard or a bumper sticker on your car or your well, your, you will wear some ridiculous combination of colors, purple and gold, red and black, red and black, orange and blue. You will publicly identify with your team because then people will know unless you have one of those ridiculous signs in your yard that says a house divided. You have a clear identification of what you support, what team you're on. And in, when Jesus was talking about baptism, and he never baptized anyone. He was baptized by John. And there is one um, cryptic uh, note in a conversation that disciples had with John the Baptist that Jesus was baptizing. But as far as we know, he didn't baptize anyone. But baptism is a public identification with him. I'm on team Jesus. I've put on the jersey. I've put on the colors. I've put the sign in my yard. I'm not a clandestine disciple. I'm not a secret disciple. I'm not a, a, a disciple behind the scenes. I am a follower of Christ, and that is my identification. And so he says, baptizing them, baptize who? All nations. There are people who have looked at this passage and said, well, was Jesus only talking to those 12 apostles? Or by extension, is this a commission for all 
who would uh, ever be an apostle, who would ever be a disciple. And so when he says, go make disciples of all nations, yes, he's telling the 11 apostles scatter. We know that John ended up in Ephesus. We talked about that last week. We know that Peter probably stayed uh, in, ended up in Rome. We know that James was uh, the first disciple to be uh, martyred. Um, we, we know that, that they ended up scattered all over the place, but nothing like what Paul and Titus and Timothy and the, the disciples that would follow through the first, second, third, fourth centuries. They would scatter all over the known world. And so Jesus is giving the commission to make disciples. Making a disciple means a public identification. It means a declaration of uh, salvation. And it means that we are um, scattered wherever it is that he takes us. Um, then he, he clarifies the commission. And, and this is where the, the uh, appearance of the Holy Spirit, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Like Jesus was visited by God in the presence of uh, John when he was baptized. The form of a dove, uh, the voice, this is my son, whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit visited Jesus that day. And in baptism, we are baptized in the name of uh, the Trinitarian God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And that's why we say what we do. You are uh, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. I baptize you, my brother, my sister, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's what we say uh, to this day when we baptize. And then he, another participle, baptizing them, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Well, look over at Acts chapter 2. Real quick, Acts chapter 2. The very last verse. Um, in Acts chapter 2, last two verses. Um, well, let's start with chapter uh, 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So the very last thing that Jesus said before he ascended to heaven, baptizing them, teaching them. And so the apostles executed this command. They, they carried out this commission. And in Acts 2, 42, the, uh, we, we see replication that's going on. They devoted themselves. Who's they? The first church, the New Testament church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So what was the apostles' teaching? All that I have commanded you, said Jesus back in Matthew 28. And so he, he told them, you need to make disciples, baptizing them, participle, make disciples imperative, baptizing teaching are the participles. What was he teaching? All that I've commanded you. So everything that Jesus said, think about the Sermon on the Mount, think about the parables, think about the uh, the instructions that Jesus gave all along the way, baptizing them, teaching them everything I've commanded you. And then we see it carried out in Acts chapter two. They, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching Fellowship, breaking of bread, prayers, all became upon every soul in Mark's version of the Great Commission. In the, the addition, it says you will perform signs and wonders. And so in Acts chapter 2, we, we see that that's happening. All who believed were together. 
They had all their things in common. They began to sell their possessions day by day, attending the temple together, praising God, having favor. The Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. We, we see this, this process of replication. Last thing that Jesus says in the Great Commission, he says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Anybody remember in the scripture, Second uh, Samuel, the description of David's sin with Bathsheba? Do you remember how it starts? It was in the spring of the year when the kings go to war and David was in his palace in Jerusalem. So it was customary for the king to lead into battle. And David's sin came about because he wasn't. The very last line of the Great Commission, and lo, I am with you. I am not a king who's staying in the palace. I am a king who's weeding you. I'm a king who is with you. I'm a king who is present with you in the, the daily uh, battle, the, the daily grind of what it is to be a disciple and a disciple maker. So the, the command is there. And in Acts, we get the rest of the story. Um, Luke kind of finishes the... Uh, uh, the discussion of um, of the ascension of Christ, and uh, in Acts chapter one, uh, verse six, when they had come together, so the picture is that they are on the the hillside there in Galilee. They are together, and they ask him, Lord. What, when, what, what time will you restore the kingdom of Israel? Somebody asks me, Alan, what is your prediction of when Jesus will return? Are you a premillennialist or a postmillennialist or an amillennialist? I will say I'm an Acts 1 seminist. Because they asked Jesus that very question, and he said, my loose translation for the Greek is, it's none of your business. You need to act every day as if I'm coming tomorrow, and you need to act every day as if I'm not coming for a thousand years. They, when are you coming? He says, it's not for you to know. You are to be about the business of going, making disciples, baptizing and instructing. He says, but you're not alone. You will receive power. The Holy Spirit has come up when the Holy Spirit has come upon you in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Acts 1.8 is where we get a lot of our mission philosophy here at Dunwoody Baptist Church. When you look at the budget that will be presented in September, You'll see these are Jerusalem ministries, those that are close to Dunwoody. These are Judea uh, ministries, those who are in our, our wider community. These are Samaria ministries, those in our state and our nation. These are ends of the earth ministries. He said, you will receive power. You will be my witnesses. And I've told you before, the word witness and the word martyr come from the same root word. So to, to live for Christ and to die for Christ, it's, it's the same extension of the same commandment, the great commission. So he said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up, a cloud took him out of their sight. And when they were gazing into heaven, two men stood to them before them in white robes and said, why do you stand looking to heaven? You need to get busy. Again, my translation. So what does that look like, practically speaking? In the list of disciple makers, we almost automatically think of the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul had a, a uh, 
a very public ministry and a very public habit of identifying young men who would become his disciples as he was a disciple of Jesus. Now, Paul never, to my knowledge, he never met Jesus except on the road to Damascus. We, we don't have any uh, indication that Paul ever met Jesus in his lifetime, Jesus' lifetime. And so Paul is has become a disciple. He has repented of his sins. He's embraced Christ as Savior. He's begun to follow Christ. And, and, and he never saw him do a miracle. He never saw him uh, after the resurrection. He never saw him walk on water, change water into wine. And so in, in Paul's example, I take a lot of courage because uh, this is the way it was supposed to work. We are, we are to be just as passionate about our relationship with Jesus 2,000 years removed from his resurrection as Peter and John and Matthew were having seen him face to face. And so Paul was that, and he said, hey, this can't die with me. And as, as arrogant as Paul was at times, he knew that if he kept on talking about Jesus, eventually he'd get in trouble, and it couldn't die with him. Now, I don't know what it would be like. I, you know, obviously there are people who say uh, critical things about pastors who speak the truth. But I don't know what it would be to fear death, to fear torture because of my stance in Christ. Maybe that time will come. But Paul understood that if he didn't replicate discipleship and his life was taken, that Christianity would not survive past the end of the first century. And so the, 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 the practice of replication, the practice of making disciples was uh, a, a, a major part, if not the major part, of Paul's ministry of preaching and teaching. He, he always had somebody who came along with him. We have in our scripture a letter that he wrote to Timothy, probably while Timothy was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. We know that Timothy was younger. We know that he was shy. We know that he was prone to sickness. And so Paul is speaking into him about the necessity for replication, about the necessity of being not just a disciple, but a disciple maker. And so in the famous passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, he starts that passage by saying, you then my child. So uh, uh, an affectionate reference to a son in Christ. Be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ. And lo, he is with you always, even to the ends of the age. I am sure that Paul had uh, knowledge of the commission. Now, don't want to mess anybody up, but Paul's letters were written before the Gospels were written. So this, Paul wrote this before Matthew wrote the, the Great Commission. But Paul certainly had... Uh, knowledge of the, the urgency of replication. And so he says, and what you have heard from me. So as you go, baptize, instruct, make disciples, the things you have heard from me, the, the, the teaching, the, the, the words that have been uh, passed on, the things that you have heard from me, in the presence of many witnesses. It's not just one-on-one -on -one time with Timothy. These are, these are things that I've said publicly. These are things I've said out loud and, and, and proud. And so, Timothy, the things that you've heard me say, 
publicly and privately, entrust these to faithful men. I don't know if, if all of you have prepared your will and your, your estate plans and gotten your affairs in order. But you know what? One of the weird things that's probably the last 10 years, that's one of the most urgent things you can do in estate planning. Write down all your passwords. Write down all the secret codes. Paul is saying that to Timothy. Write these things down and trust them. Let, let me tell you all the passcodes. Let me tell you all the passwords. Let me tell you all the account numbers. Let me tell you the secret to being a disciple, following Christ, receiving forgiveness for sin. Let me tell you the secret. But now you have to pass that secret on. Because if you don't pass that secret on, it's going to die. Every uh, the old cliche that, that the Christianity is always one generation away from extinction. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, the things you have heard from me, tell them to someone else. But then he qualifies the way he was going to tell someone else. What did he say? In a way that they can replicate. The things that you have heard me say to you, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So the four generations of disciples that are represented there, Paul, Timothy, faithful men, others, that, that's replication. But just in case, Paul said, just in case you're a little bit of a slow learner, Timothy, or just in case whoever reads this much later needs some illustrations, I'm going to give you three illustrations of what it is to be a disciple. <clears throat> he says, first illustration, a soldier. A soldier doesn't get wrapped up in trivial things. The commander-in-chief said, it's time to go to battle. Pass the order down the ranks. Paul is saying, no soldier says, but about that order, uh, what, 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 are about, what about this? What about this? No soldier does that. No, no soldier gets entangled in earthly affairs. And the word tangled there is the same word that would be used of a sheep getting caught in briars by its wool. No, no soldier is immobilized because they, they, they couldn't get past trivial things. They kept the main thing, the main thing. What's the main thing? Go, make disciples, baptize, instruct. What's the main thing? So he compares a soldier no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to uh, please the one who enlisted him. Second illustration, an athlete is crowned. No athlete is crowned uh, unless he competes according to the rules. Unless he competes according to the rules, unless he finishes the race. The, the illustration that I'll use Sunday is that uh, in the... Uh, 109 years that the Olympic Games have been run. Whenever American relay teams run, they either win, come in second, or get disqualified. And of all of the times they've gotten disqualified, every single one of them has to do with dropping the baton, not making the handoff from one leg of the relay to the next. No athlete finishes the race unless he competes according to the rules. No relay runner gets the race finished unless he successfully passes the baton to the runner who will run the next leg of the race. And then the last illustration he gives is, to me, the most unusual. He says a farmer, the hardworking farmer, ought to have 
the first share of the crops. The language sounds a little selfish there, but it's really not. The soldier knows the result of the battle almost immediately. The athlete knows the result of the contest almost immediately. But the farmer is the one who plants the seed, who nurtures, who trusts God, who waters if water is needed, but the farmer can't make the seed grow. Only God can do that. And so in the soldier, it's an idea of obedience. In the athlete, it's an idea of diligence. In the farmer, it's the idea of patience, perseverance. And so Paul is illustrating what it means to say the things that you have heard from me in the presence of these many witnesses, entrust them to faithful men. Some will be soldiers, some will be athletes, some will be farmers. Help them understand the urgency of the mission. What is the mission? What is the commission? Go, make disciples, baptize, instruct. So the scripture ends with Paul saying, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. <clears throat> the youth minister friend of mine said, sometimes it's easier to act your way into believing than it is to believe your way into acting. Sometimes it's easier, rather than having to explain every detail, trying to understand everything about when Jesus is coming back, how does this work, tell me again about justification, sanctification, glorification, and the deeper theological things. Sometimes it's easier just to imitate somebody who's walking with the Lord. And as Paul said, the Lord will give you understanding in all things. I understand a lot more about the Bible than I did when I started this journey. I don't know everything. I, I learn new stuff every week. I, every single time I study the scripture, I, I see something I don't know. That's, that's why I wear out highlighters in my Bible studies. But I know more than I did. And I hope somebody who's looking to me for their cues sees that I'm learning to trust God. I'm learning to to walk with God. I, I, I'm looking at my heroes of the faith, uh, Andrew Smith and Jim Chavis and Denny Spear and Daniel Vestal and Jim Johnson and all the youth ministers that, that, that helped me. I, I look at all of my heroes in the faith and I still imitate them. And that's why Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And then we have this statement that then we begin to have understanding in all things. So to replicate, to make a disciple, is to understand that disciple making is not complete until the disciple maker, until the disciple becomes the disciple maker. All right, it is seven o'clock, and I try to promise you that I will keep you forever. Um, Look forward to seeing you guys on Sunday when we break this down uh, from a little bit of a different angle. Um, John has given me a blog that says uh, that helps us know replication according to the Apple Corporation. So uh, you are wondering what that's about. You'll have to come Sunday and I'll explain it. Then. All right. Well, good night, everyone. <laughs>